Opportunities everywhere, just as there have always been. Yes. Charles Fillmore. So all, always, always there have been opportunities. I think it's Course of Miracles that says man has, uh, or God has placed the solution where man has placed the problem. So to look at that, look at your problem. No, I don't have any problems. Yeah, I have problems. Uh, based on my perceptions, it's all based on my perceptions, everything. And so I uh, look at the problem and just declare there are endless opportunities here. There are opportunities for new choices, for new ways of seeing things. Today's talk is on Unity's co-founder, Charles Fillmore. And, uh, well, I'll tell you this little bit. He was born August 22nd, 1854. And he uh, left us July 5th, 1948. He was born in St. Cloud, Minnesota. He uh, co-pioneered the Unity Church, the Unity Movement, within the New Thought Movement, and his wife, the other co-pioneer, Myrtle Fillmore, Myrtle Page Fillmore, in, technically in 1889. But they started with Myrtle's healing. She had tuberculosis, and she was given three months to live, and uh, she started praying differently. And she lived another 45 years. And so it is considered that in 1886 is when uh, Unity started with the first prayer group around their kitchen table. Uh, Charles Fillmore didn't believe in it much, but he saw his wife and her friends having healing. Now, around that kitchen table, that was the start of Silent Unity, which today is the world's oldest existing telephone prayer line. And you can call Silent Unity 24 hours a day, and there's people sitting in a building in uh, Lee Summit, Missouri, at Unity Village, and they will somebody will answer the phones. This is Silent Unity. How may I pray with you? They will not counsel you. That's not their job. They're here to pray with you. And I've done it many times before. I uh, usually when I go to Unity Village, uh, there's a there's a peace chapel right across from Silent Unity in the Fillmore Building, and I I, I call it the bat phone. It's a little red phone that sits there, and I always like to pick it up and say and. I don't even have to dial. Someone said, this is Silent Unity. How may I pray with you? And I said, like a prayer of gratitude, please, for being here. And I hear somebody go, <laughs> they blow the dust off that prayer. And then they, uh, they say a prayer of gratitude with me. <laughs> now, I'm going to Unity Village tonight. Or, no, actually, I'm going to Marriott Conference Center in Kansas. Tomorrow I'll be at Unity Village. Uh, but the convention, the annual convention, for, it's for the first time in three years in person again. And I have been to as many of those as I uh, could possibly go to in all my years in Unity. And I wanted to do Charles Fillmore's address of welcome from 1928, the first Unity convention. And he says... This is the first gathering by way of a conference of the movement called Unity. I feel that you are a unit in your spiritual understanding of the object of this gathering. I should like very much to grasp every one of you by the hand and look into your personal problems. Oh, that spiritually I do, he says. Spiritually we are one. And spiritually, all our problems are answered. Every 
problem is solved if, there's always an if, isn't there? If we know the truth of spirit. We were here for nearly 40 years. Been studying some of the attributes of spirit. I was going to say that we have been studying spirit, but that is a very broad statement. Spirit is that absolute something at which we arrive at after we have studied its attributes or its tributes. In this gathering, in this study of spiritual things, we shall be drawn closer together. And we shall feel that spiritual unity, which is really the object of this conference, an understanding of one another as spiritual beings and our relationship or our relation to a spiritual source. Unity as a religion does not claim to have discovered anything new. We have simply gathered and unified all that is good in many religions. We do not claim that we have discovered any new truths, nor that we have had any special revelation of truth. There is truth in every religion. It is my privilege to take truth from any source, put it into my religion, and make it fundamental as a rule of action in my life. That is what Unity students do. 38 years ago, Mrs. Fillmore and I began this Unity work. And it was a very small beginning. We had studied various religions, but were not satisfied to accept any of them wholly. We said, there are so many religions, let us go ahead for ourselves. Let us do what we think is best and ask God to be with us and lead us and guide us. We began our work in one little room downtown, and it has grown gradually. We studied many isms and many cults. People of every religion under the sun claim that we either belong to them or have borrowed the best part of our teaching from them. We have borrowed from the best of all religions. That is the reason why we are unity. Isn't that nice? Uh, the name unity was revealed to us by spirit. One day in one of our little meetings, I do not think we had more than a dozen in attendance, it was given to me like a flash. Your name is unity. Then and there we adopted the name unity. Before that, we had called ourselves practical Christians, new thoughters. In fact, we had called ourselves any whole thing. We had just wandered about in the wilderness of isms. When we had adopted a definite name, a plan of work began to unfold and we saw the great possibilities of unity. We were wobbly until the name unity came. And that seemed to be the crystallizing idea in our minds we found that we could group under the name unity all the different cults that we had thought out and worked out. In this way, we established the fundamentals of the doctrine called unity. When we took the unifying idea that all religions are essentially good, that all have some truth in them, we began to see that all came from one source, one great truth. That idea in itself began to open to us new vistas of truth. And we saw where they all fitted, in, fitted into what was taught in primitive Christianity. As fast as we worked out an idea and had logically adopted it, our attention was in some way called to the same teaching in the Bible. 
In this way, we found that we were were being guided by a higher power. The more we looked for this spiritual guidance, the more definite it became. Often, when the inner urge to do a certain thing came to us, and we were not sure that it was the right thing to do, the matter would clear up in a symbolical dream. Again, it would be a waking vision, or a voice from the heavens that indicated the right way. Thus, we found that we were being educated in spiritual ways, as were the children of Israel, and as were the early followers of Jesus Christ. When Solomon wanted to know how to guide the Israelites wisely, he did not consult worldly authorities, but he went to Gideon, the great high place where Jehovah appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give thee, or what shall I give thee? We studied Christian science. Christian science, to my mind, is a most wonderful interpretation of Christianity. But Christian science segregated itself and became a church. And we are not desiring to join another church, but to find the truth in all churches. We were also cl- classed as new thought people, mental scientists, theosophists, and so on, but none of these sufficiently emphasized the higher uh, attributes of man, and we avoided any close affiliation with them. We were called theosophists because we adopted reincarnation as a fact of human experience. There's the answer to that question, if anybody's been asking. Uh, But reincarnation has no place in the experiences of sons of God. Death is the penalty of broken law. Reincarnation merely gives the soul a chance to keep on living. When we have learned how to live without dying, reincarnation will become one of the atrophied functions of the soul. We are also called spiritualists because we teach the fact that the soul does not cease to exist at the death of the body, but continues to live in the mental realm, closely affiliated with what it loved in the body. Spiritualism only proves the fact that life in the soul is continuous, that dying to this body consciousness is not dying to the whole man. Life continues, but spiritualism does not prove immortality of life, does not demonstrate that we can live forever and ever. We want proof that man can live continually. That proof can only be found in continuous living in the body. Spiritualism gives us a partial revelation of the condition of souls between incarnations, but it does not prove eternal life. Neither does spiritualism answer the many problems of man's origin and existence. To attain eternal life, we must destroy all thought of dying and enter into the consciousness of eternal life here and now. If a man keep my word, he shall never see death. And that is what Jesus taught. The unification of all the different truths, all the different ideas about life into one omnipresent life. That is really what we are teaching. We are also proclaiming what the Bible teaches from Genesis to Revelation. That death is the wages of error thinking. After much study of other religions, we found that Christianity is the only religion given to men that teaches immortality of the body, and that Jesus is the only man who demonstrated it satisfactorily. Unity is not a sect, not a separation of people into an exclusive group of know-it-alls. Unity is the truth, 
that is taught in all religions, simplified and systemized so that anyone can understand and apply it. Students of unity do not find it necessary to sever their church affiliations. The church needs the vitalization which this renaissance of primitive Christianity gives it. Every member of the church needs a larger comprehension of that life-giving proclamation of Jesus. I came that they may have life and have it and may have it more abundantly. Unity does not teach there is a theoretical heaven in the skies to which people go after they die. It teaches what Jesus taught, that the kingdom of the heavens is within man, and that kingdom is related intimately to man's thoughts and acts here in this environment. Jesus taught Peter that whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Many of you have come from unity centers or branch schools, and you are teaching just what we are teaching here. We are gathered here for the purpose of unifying, intensifying, and spiritually vitalizing Christianity in unity. We want a better and purer truth to go out to the world under the name of unity. To accomplish this end, we must be unified and energized by spirit. We must have a better understanding of the character of spirit. We must know that the fundamentals of being and express those fundamentals with fervor, power, and zeal. We must better understand ourselves. We must realize that right now we have a spirit, that we have a wonderful spiritual mechanism called the body, the expression of spirit. We must know how to use wisely those innate spiritual powers with which the infinite mind has endowed us. How shall we get this wisdom and power? We shall get it first through meditating, through understanding that we live, move, and have our being in a universal mind principle. Then through recognizing that this great universal mind is seeking the expression through us and that we determine the extent of that expression, he who reckons existence without God lives in a godless world. He who thinks God, manifests God, becomes godlike himself. We are gathered here to get a better understanding of the science and the law governing the demonstrations of the principles of Christianity. Our innate sense of justice repudiates that claim that God is an arbitrary dictator who rewards his friends with gifts, the gifts of healing or other miracle working abilities. We know that law rules everywhere and that it is the understanding of super laws that makes supermen. Christianity points to the heavens of the mind as the source of the super laws. Those of you who have followed Jesus have proved that there is a kingdom of mind out of which marvelous powers come to those who seek and find that kingdom. Doubtless you have through your meditation, your prayers, and the light that has come to you. Received light that we have not yet received. We are gathered here for the purpose of informing and teaching and instructing each other. We have no human leader, no temporal head of this work. There's only one head, God. We know that uh, Jesus Christ demonstrated and entered into the kingdom of God, and in entering the kingdom, he preserved his body alive. He did not allow his body to perish. He was the fulfillment of all the prophecies that the last great enemy to overcome was death. But you say Jesus Christ is gone. 
And I assure you that he is not gone. He is in our midst today. He has been seen again and again standing on this platform. And we absolutely know that he is in the fourth dimension, that he has a body. He has the same body that you would have if you reconstructed your body, as he reconstructed his. I tell you that he is in our midst and that Jesus Christ, you'll notice it doesn't say Jesus. I'm going to put this out. It says Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the awakened man. In metaphysics, that's what we're talking about, the awakened man. is in our midst, and Jesus Christ is the head of the unity work, the head of a greater work that is to fill the land. I sometimes think that your new work is like the image the king Belshazzar saw. That image has a head of gold, a breast and arms of silver, a belly and thighs of brass, but feet of clay. I do not know but what this unity movement with all other religious movements and their outer manifestations is symbolic of the image that will eventually be smashed by the rock carved out of the mountain. And that rock is Christ. This gathering at unity for the interchange of spiritual light, not solar light, but light of mind. You are the light of the world when you enter into the understanding of omnipresent spirit with its illuminating power. Where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them. We are gathered here together in the name, the name of Jesus Christ. We welcome you as brothers and sisters of one family with God, the Father at the head. God hath made of the one blood all nations of men. In spirit we are one, and it is our work to make the unity a fact in all the relations uh, which men have established in the world. One of the problems set before this congregation is the demonstration of unity among all people, regardless of race, color, religion, common and equal distribution of those things which comes from our Mother Earth is still the goal of all just people. We are gathered together in the Lord to be healed and illumined by spirit. We shall not fail in either aim if we diligently play, and if we obediently receive the baptism of spirit. We see not separation of color, race, insect, and creed in anything. We are one in spirit. We are demonstrating that fact just as closely as possible. You are not here to receive only, but to give as well. Give and it shall be given unto you. Giving and receiving go hand in hand, and we expect you, every one of you, to have some message for us. You have a message that will help someone. We are merely cooperating with you in this conference. And we shall ask all, you all to remember, while you are here, while you are communing with us, that you are part of this unity and an important part. Remember that the Spirit of the Lord is healing you leading you, inspiring you, is dwelling within you. Now, a lot of words in there that are turnoffs to a lot of people who come into unity today, Jesus being one of them. I can't go to unity, they talk about Jesus and I'm Jewish. I can't go to unity, they talk about Jesus and I, am a, I was abused. The nuns abused me. My parents abused me. I can't hear that word anymore. I came into unity not caring about Jesus one way or the other. Because to me, Jesus was a, a go-between. 
something to get to God to. And that made no sense to me, even as a little boy in church. I didn't understand why do I, in Jesus' name we pray. I didn't understand that. And then I came into unity, and I stayed. And I began to learn what Jesus means metaphysically. See, I was taught as a kid to worship Jesus, and I couldn't do that. Because why? Why would I do that? I didn't know how to worship God. How was I going to worship Jesus? And so I didn't. But then I found out that Jesus was a spiritual student. He heard a voice that told him he was good. He uh, heard this was his mission to do in life. And I thought, okay, that I can identify with. That I can, oh, I seem to, I respect his teachings. I don't always respect the teachings about Jesus. But I respect the teachings, that, you know, the words in red in the Bible. I respect those teachings because they seem to be for the good of all. All mankind. And they seem to be a pathway to have a total healing by way of my thinking. And so I could respect that and appreciate it and enjoy it. And I no longer had to push Jesus aside as somebody trying to shove their religion down my throat. As somebody trying to use their religion to manipulate me. As I continued to study the metaphysics of what the Fillmore's taught, I began to have healings myself. And I began to have new thoughts and new ideas. And I saw, oh, I can work with people on a whole new level. Perhaps I could even learn empathy. Perhaps I could gather a little sympathy in my mind towards others. It wasn't easy at first because I was so black and white with it all. And then I studied and I continued to study and I continued to practice. And then I met other people who were great powers of example to me. And I had to be sure, make sure I didn't worship those people. You know, I have a minister friend. Some of you have met him before. He hasn't been around us in a while. But he, uh, he talks about every awful thing about him. And people say, oh, he's been touched by God. He stands on a pulpit and will tell us every awful thing about him and his life. And, oh my God, he's so wonderful. He's amazing. Did you hear what he had to say? Like, he's not asking anyone to worship him. He's not trying to develop a cult following. He's just telling his own spiritual path. And he and I have laughed at this. I said, what the heck is it with you? That people think you are so amazing when you tell them flat out how awful you are. <laughs> so he laughs at it. He says, I don't know. But I do believe he has, uh, he has touched the hand of God. He has incorporated spirit into his soul actively and consciously. And again, it doesn't make him special. It doesn't make him unique. It's what he saw he needed to do while he drinks his beer and smokes his cigarettes and smokes his pot. It's still what he needs to do. And then he passes along the information. That's fantastic. And it is someone to look at and say, how do you do that? How do you do that? That's great that you do that. I want to do that too.
So rather than worshiping him, let's start to do that too. Let's know we, have, we are flawed thinkers. We miss the mark, another term for sin. Uh, we miss the mark on a regular basis because we forget and we get self-conscious rather than God-conscious. But as Fillmore said, opportunities everywhere just as there have always been. Opportunities everywhere. I can go into the fiery pits of my mind. Another word for hell. When I'm misthinking, when I'm misusing my mind. Hell's not a place we're going to uh, in the physical. It's a place we go to in the mental. I go into the fiery pits of my mind and there are opportunities to rethink everything right there. Some of us have gone into the fiery pits of our mind and it's the greatest gift we ever received. We were blessed with the gift of... Oh, heck, what's the word? Fear. No. It's a bigger word. It's the gift... Desperation. We were blessed with the gift of desperation. We had nowhere else to turn but the light. We had nowhere else to turn if we were to find any joy at all and not give up hope entirely. And it was that gift of desperation. I was blessed with that almost 30 years ago. I was blessed with the gift of desperation. And I said, okay, something's got to change here, and I guess it's me. Nobody else is changing for me. Nobody else is doing what I need to do in order to make me happy. And so I showed up, and it was so uncomfortable. Anybody? Have you ever shown up for your good and it was so incredibly uncomfortable, you didn't know how you were going to live in your skin without imploding? You did, it was so itchy. And I remember I, I would meet with groups of people. Some of you can figure out who those groups are. Uh, and they kind of days for things. And I, uh, and I remember I had 19 of them those days. And somebody in the room said he had 58 of those days. And I thought, I will never make it. I am going to collapse. My head is going to explode before I would ever, ever get to 58 days. And then 58 came and more than that. And because uh, I kept showing up because something was different. And I prayed. I kept prayed, 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 prayed. I learned if any of my prayers this way didn't work, I tried to pray a different way. I read Emmett Fox's Sermon on the Mount. I read other books. And I uh, talked to people who had long time uh, experience with healing. And my life got better. Every, I would say overnight. But it was every overnight. Every day overnight my life got better. And finally, I opened up to the Jesus Christ teachings, the awakened man teachings. And my life got even better. Because if you want to find somebody who, who lived in a proverbial hell, he was born in Nazareth. And as we learn in the Bible, could anything good come from Nazareth? So clearly... He lived in extraordinary circumstances of social outcastism. Remember, an angel didn't come to the whole town to tell them why Mary was pregnant. And according to the book, and I don't know that this is historically accurate, I think it's a, a way of telling the story to make Jesus more socially acceptable, quite frankly. 
uh, of a virgin birth, as it were. Jesus found a loving source from within himself. A loving source, not a shaming source. Too many of us have a shaming source. How do you know if you have a shaming source? How often do you call yourself stupid? Foolish? That's not loving. There's nothing kind about that. You don't have to do that. And that's what I learned in Unity. I don't have to be unkind to myself anymore. In fact, it will only serve to hurt me. It will only serve to make me want to give up hope instead of latch on to opportunities. And so I don't call myself stupid. I don't call myself foolish. I call myself good. And that became my ministry. That we are all <coughs> created good, capital G good. We are all, all inherently good in our being, if not our behaviors. And we can't not be good. We are all loved, and we can't not be loved. And rather than arguing that, well, I'm not loved here, don't argue it. Accept it, and keep looking for how you are loved. Myrtle Fillmore, her statement was, I am a child of God, and therefore I do not inherit sickness. Sickness begins in the mind and then follows through in the body. It is not a punishment. There is no one saying, see, I told you so. It is not a result of having been bad. Death is not a punishment, the physical death. It is not a result of having been bad. But it is often a result of a forgetting just forgetting that life was also an option. And so many of us forget. We're not bad for that. We're just forgetful. I forget a hundred times a day. And then I have to remind myself a hundred and one times a day. So, in our talk today, endless opportunities, I know I keep switching the words around, but it's the same thing. Endless opportunities everywhere, just as they have always been. There's not a time in history there have been more opportunities to remember the divine nature of our being. Today, let's just decide, today there are more opportunities than ever before. Today. And once you get to tomorrow, it'll still be today. So now that today be the day we've been looking for, for the solution to our confusion. Today always is the day for the solution to our, our, our confusion. I like, you know, I uh, sometimes use the word miracles. And the definition of a miracle is a correction. It's just a correction. There are endless opportunities for the correction of my thinking all day long today. Thanks for letting me read this. Thanks for letting me share it. And I'll see you next week.